0: G'day to Brad McKenzie on a Friday afternoon. Good to have you back Brad. Good to be back. Always an interesting chat that we have and a bit of a sad uh, chat in a way because it it affects a lot of younger people and that's housing affordability and the, the issues around that in Australia. You're a copywriter and you write for a living about housing. What do you sort of observe from the I don't know, the psychology of buyers and the psychology of, of the market at the moment. What do, you, what, what do you sense?
1: This time... So I write, I write ads for real estate agents, so I, I chat to owners when I go, and I'll often say, where are you off to, or, or what are you doing? Mm. Um, this time, probably 18 months ago, people were more than happy to put their house on the market, sorry, to, to buy a house, and then put their house on the market because they knew that their house would sell within a fortnight. There was mm. no stress. That was what was going to happen. Mm. So, but what's happening now is I say to people, where are you off to? Oh, we don't know yet. We're just going to put our place on the market and see what happens. And then once we're sold, then we'll, um, mm. we'll look to buy. So there's
0: more uncertainty from buyers about what they're going to get for their yeah. house. When exactly. They
1: sell. So that means there's more uncertainty from from a selling point of view because... There's now a lag, whereas before, you know, uh, I'd go out and buy a house and then I'd structure my, the sale of my house, I'd structure the terms to be 60 or 90 days to match up Mm. with the sale of that one. But what's happening now is people are are looking to sell their place. So there's maybe a four-week campaign, Mm. and then they might have a 90-day settlement. So it's 120 days. So they might not even start looking for another... 60 days, which means they may not find anything yeah. and there's nothing to rent. Mm. So the whole thing's mm. in a flux and mm. it's, it's. It and they risk, sense. they risk
0: the market moving as well. You know, if you're, if you're out of it, you know, the other argument about, about selling the other way that people have traditionally done where you buy, find the thing that you, you, you want, yeah. buy that, and then have the confidence that you're going to be able to sell your thing. At least that kind of what you you you're already in the market. That's right. Uh, but if you're in a rising market, I'm not saying it necessarily is a, rise, a strongly rising market, although it seems, it's actually seems like... Oh, no, it
1: is. It's gone. It, it's, it's, it's moving again. Definitely. Yeah. It, it didn't, there was all the naysayers and, you know, the banks were saying it's going to drop 25 and 30%. At mm. level, I think it dropped at the most 4.6% in Melbourne. Mm. It's gone up 12% mm. since then. So it's actually gone up, you know, uh, a mean of 10% mm. uh, in the last 12 months mm. and there's no reason for that to stop because demand is, is still outstripping yeah. supply.
0: Yeah, I mean there's a whole lot of factors that play into this and one one that's cited by pundits is the immigration and, and um, in 2023 Australia's net immigration is going to be 454,000 I think that's down from last year mm. a little bit. So you've got this demand and I think that means that if you've got 450,000 people arriving in a year, you've got to build about 200,000 houses to accommodate them. Yes. And we're not. No. They're doing things in Victoria. They're, they're now making it much easier to build a granny flat. Did you see that? Yes. The, the theory is that it'll provide more housing. It'll provide more accommodation for people.
1: Well, yes. Kids no. can stay
0: home and they don't have to rent something, so then an immigrant can, can rent that house that <laughs> the kids might have rented.
1: That is very true. But if you, 10 years ago, moved out to... Um and I'm sure there's these satellite suburbs right around the country, but Dorian and Moonda come to mind, which are, are probably about thirty k's out of Melbourne, heading mm. north northeast. They're on blocks of three hundred and fifty square meters. Mm. So there's nowhere to put a granny flat, even yeah. if you wanted to. Yeah, yeah. So it's all very well to say, "Oh, we can all start to build granny
0: flats," but, but that's
1: only if you've got the yeah. the room. What for, if you're in a flat? Yeah, you know, it, for the for the place. And and and, to and be. what if you're
0: not? You know we're kind of lucky on the on the Mornington Peninsula because there are blocks that are often bigger than they are in yes. Melbourne. But there's also the the issue of you know how your neighbours going to react, how it changes neighbourhoods. If you if everyone's got a granny flat, what does it actually do? I mean it means that you know often your sort of your back garden because of the way it, you know urban design was you you've got your sort of your your street your houses up the front of the block and you've got a backyard whatever it was. I mean this goes back to terrace houses. You know it goes back to the buildings that were made in the 18, 1870s 80s you know in, in melbourne and other parts of mm. the, the country where it was sort of designed and then the people that you backed onto they had the same thing so your backyards backed into each other yes. and you had a little bit of green space and a bit of kind of nature um, in an otherwise concrete jungle and so if you if you if you, everyone starts building in those places not only do they lose that green space themselves but they also impact on the the kind of urban design theory, if you like, that applied to the way the houses were laid out originally, you know, the way streetscapes were constructed.
1: And, and the other thing is, too, that if we're in a, a, a normal suburban-type street like that and we put a granny flat out the back, well, you can assume that at least one person's going to be there. Mm. There might even be two. Mm. So that means you've got at least one car, maybe mm. two, mm. that have to come down that street, go up mm. that street, and multiply that by... You know, of a house, a street of fifty houses, even if it's only ten granny flats, mm. that's still twenty more cars. 20, mm. You know, so yeah. so there's the consequences to doing yeah. that. It's
0: not just suddenly this sort of brainwave that oh, suddenly we've solved the housing problem because everyone can have a granny flat and we'll make yeah. it easier. I mean, I've, you know, it's still got to be to code. It's still got to you know, there's got to be a building permit. But, but I think got they're to taking out... the people to build. Yeah, you know, exactly. all very
1: well. The government have said, oh, will will we'll, the federal government said we've not they've knocked up one point two million houses by twenty. 27 I think it was. And mm. whether that's affordable housing or it doesn't really matter. Mm. We've got builders that are going to the wall, mm. and so those houses aren't getting built. We've got supply issues. Still, uh, uh, yeah, yep, yep. supply chain. Sort of so, yep. where, you know, if we could, it'd be fantastic to build those houses, but who's going to build them and where? And have you got the infrastructure? It's no good putting them. You know, and I noticed this in Melbourne. The sort of the urban sprawl. There's there's suburbs in inverted commas. We go to. They don't have a milk bus, They don't have a general store. Mm. There's not a bus stop there. Mm. And yet there's housing for you know eight or nine thousand people. There's no school, so they've got to go mm. everywhere. Then so. they're going
0: to build these roads. No. Yeah. Which which have put the state in enormous debt, and they're still and they blown yes. out in in, in um, you know in the time they're supposed to take to build them. But it's it's that that was the issue, and it's been identified a while ago. as you know urban sprawl is is a problem because you've got to get the infrastructure out there to make it livable, or you have people stuck in traffic jams trying to just get basic sort of things that they need every day. Yes. They're going to tra- travel twenty ks or ten ks in traffic, you know, to get to the to the hub where all that yes. stuff's sold. Supermarket. Mm. And
1: none of that is helping housing affordability. Housing affordability. No. Which is the worst it's been since nineteen ninety or something.
0: It's it's terrible, and and I mean there really are some quite remarkable figures. I was just looking at the the government's aph.gov.au housing affordability, comparing the the price of uh, in capital cities uh, nominal median house prices from nineteen eighty to twenty sixteen. Now prices have gone up a lot since twenty sixteen as we know, but Sydney sixty four thousand eight hundred dollars to buy a house in March nineteen eighty. March 2016, a million dollars. So it will be even more than that now. Yeah. Melbourne was 40,800 in March 1980. In March 2016, 713,000. Brisbane, 34,500, 1980. 2016, 480,000. Adelaide, 36,300, 445,000 in March 2016. And the list goes on. I mean, Every city is, is up dramatically. In fact, these figures are, are way under under what they really are because these cities have all kicked. You know, places like Adelaide, places like Hobart, Perth, Brisbane, they're all much higher than those. It's just extraordinary. I mean, yeah. you, you know, I was actually talking with a family member recently about what it was like at the end of the 80s. And, you know, she was saying, well, you know, you think you've got it bad. I, I mentioned I was having a chat with you about housing affordability in Australia. She's 90. I said, oh, you think you had it bad? I think of what it was like for us in the in the at the end of the nineteen eighties with 18, 19 percent interest, you know, and the and the um, recession we had to have, courtesy uh, Paul Keating. And she kind of agreed that the the thing was that even though the interest rates were much higher, the cost of owning a property, the purchase price, was so much lower that it was still a lot easier, even with interest rates that are you know yeah. more than double what they are now.
1: Well, the first house I bought was sixty four thousand hmm. dollars and the interest rates went to 17 percent mm. and it still wasn't close to 30 percent of the salary which is which is the the,
0: the litmus test stress 50 percent yeah you know, on
1: there. And, and and what's changed too now is two years ago or three years ago if i had I've got a loan at you know 1.9 percent mm. um the bank buffered in a percent you know if anything Went awry. So they were sort of working on a loan of 2.9%, figuratively speaking. Mm. But now they're working on figures of, of 9%. So that means that I, if I were to buy a house, the same loan, if I went for the same loan today as I went for three years ago, it would be $150,000 less. And yet, so if I could borrow $600,000 3 years ago, I could borrow four hundred and fifty now. Mm. And yet the same house has gone up. One hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Mm. So it's a three hundred thousand dollar gap.
0: Yes. So in other words, unless you were able to lock in for a very long time, yeah. it wasn't worth buying a house. Well, that's, given given you know the benefit of hindsight, seeing the where interest rates, rate's bad, is mm. that
1: people did lock in, mm. and now they're they're falling off the cliff. They're going from two percent or two point five percent to six point four. And what's the maximum out?
0: length of say you were, say you did what you're talking about back in you know um, twenty nineteen or even more recently than that. You locked in at when it when pre that the interest rate rise actually it wasn't even that long. It was probably like two, two, two and a half years ago, two years ago. Yeah. You got those those low interest rates. What was the maximum length of time they'd let you lock in at, say, two percent or two point five percent or something like? that no, I remember the five long, years
1: the longest I saw was three. Three. three okay. The I saw, okay. Which is why. You, it's
0: so something. you see this delay, and even if you got five, I think a friend of mine said he he would got in he'd somehow got under, it got under just under two percent for five years, but. He actually worked for a bank. Yeah, might. but even with him, it's going to come off that you know it's going to and the, and this is what they talk about this cliff or this you know this sudden when the, the reality really hits home and people start having to pay they get out of their lock period. And well, that's paying. right,
1: because and the normal the average loan, talking to people that you know want to go into their houses twelve months ago they were paying two thousand two hundred a month Mm. now they're paying three thousand five hundred a month yeah so that's you know fourteen hundred dollars on top of high petrol on top of
0: high rates on top of high electricity gas and then there's the food
1: i've seen that sadly are are trapped because their loan has gone to you know six percent six point four six point five but they're stuck with that lender because they they haven't got enough equity and they haven't got the loan serviceability to go somebody else that might be at 5.85%. Now, if you can knock a percent off your loan, even a half a percent, you know, $250 a month. Yeah. So if you can knock a percent off your loan, it's $500 a month, but they're not in the position to do that because they don't qualify now because of the fact that the banks are saying, well, you know, you need to be able to service a 9% loan, even if we're at six. You know, so the banks are building their buffer. So, unfortunately for people, it's not pretty. If, you, if you've if you got a house, it used to be that if you had a house, you'd go, oh, I'll weather the storm. Mm. It doesn't matter anymore. So mm. A lot of people with houses, they just can't weather the storm either. Mm. It's just too, you know, it's too difficult.
0: Mm. I mean, it changes a lot of things when you suddenly have a lot of people really feeling the pinch. I mean, obviously it does. But it's the first time in Australia when we had... We had, I think it was one of the longest periods of, of, of boom, basically, of, of growth. I mean, it's still going, but we haven't officially entered a recession which is defined as two quarters of negative growth. Yeah. But we're probably getting closer to doing that. Well, the, you know, there's, there's signs that we might be getting closer to doing it. But we did have this 30-year period. So there are a lot of younger people who grew up, have, not, have no experience of, of this environment that we're now in. It's quite sudden, really. I mean, yes. if you think about it, it's well, all, it really all... Within, within two time. years, yeah, no, 18 two months, months, two years... years. Yeah. It's really kicked off. 18 months. So um, it's it's a hard thing for particularly younger people to really fathom. I mean, older people who can remember the 80s and stuff. And the 80s wasn't good for a lot of people. A lot of people lost their houses then. You yeah. know.
1: So, see, I, I can remember going to Port Melbourne and quite often I'd say to the agent, who are you gearing this towards this property so we can skew the ad that way? And he said, oh, first-time buyers. And I said, what are you chasing? He said, oh, 1.5 to 1.6. So... Even if you've got, if you've got a loan of, you've got a house at one point six. Let's forget about stamp duty and everything. We're just mm. going to throw another hundred. Let's just go at one point six million. By the to to even qualify for a loan, you have to have three hundred and twenty thousand dollar deposit. Mm. That's to even qualify for the loan, mm. and you're still borrowing one point three. Now, if you did borrow one point three at one percent, with two incomes, it's probably doable. Mm. But now that it's gone to 6.4%, where, where do you go? Yeah. You know, yeah. It, it's just... I know, oh, and, then, oh. and this is
0: what those, and there's some interesting stuff here. I think there's an uh, organisation called Finder Research. They came out with a report that said that to buy a house, people need double the average full-time salary. So both parents must work full-time to be able to afford, this is on average. Yeah. So your average house price in Australia is 662000 Yeah. Yep. You need $182,000 to buy um, an average-priced price, Australian home. That's $182,000 in income. You need $130,000 to buy an average-priced Australian unit. The average full-time salary is about $96,000. Yes. So it, it basically means that both, both parents, or both, if it's a couple, they're both going to be having to work full-time to be able to afford to buy an average... That's something that's that's valued at six hundred sixty two thousand. So we're not talking about the place here in Port Melbourne. No, no,
1: that's and the other thing about that is, to get that you have to have a twenty percent deposit. Right. So you've got to save roughly twenty percent of your wages. Mm. So you're living off the other eighty percent doesn't leave you with a lot of fat mm. uh, because you also have to prove to the bank at the end of. The qualifying period you know when you go for the loan that you can afford to service that yeah, yeah so the best way to do that is to be putting 20% into their coffers every every month so they know nothing much is going to change mm. but the loans still're going to be 30 percent of your salary anyway so <laughs> the whole thing it goes round and round in a nasty nasty circle yeah and I I have to say I was more comfortable when I was paying seventeen percent on a 60. $8,000 house, so the loan was about 50000 mm. I was more comfortable paying 17% on that.
0: Than you're paying for the equivalent yeah, of value now. now. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, So I've got a house 10 times, like the median price now is 10 times that. Yep. Yeah. You know, um, it makes a massive difference. Yeah. It really does. The other thing that comes back again is mum and dad investors. You know, who I'm seeing a lot of people that are Realizing the equity in their homes that they bought 15 years ago in some of the suburbs of Melbourne that they've been renting out at a reasonable rent for 15 years or so, um, regulations have tightened up, and you can argue whether that's good or bad. Personally, I think anybody that rents a house should be able to expect that the hot water works and the heaters work and the windows close, and I don't think that's too much of a demand to ask mm. of a landlord. Mm. But these people that bought these houses you know, as you say, in 1980s for $64,000, they are now worth 700000 $800,000. they are taking the money and running. So if somebody else comes in to buy that place, you know, realistically, are you going to spend... If you were given a check for a tax check, say, $800,000, would you go to reservoir and buy a house to rent out to somebody? Of course you wouldn't. you put that money into shares or something like that. Mm-hmm. So why, you know... If these people that have bought the house for sixty, eighty thousand dollars, and they're 800000 eight hundred, there's very minimal chance that an investor is going to buy that place for eight hundred thousand dollars to rent it out to somebody. Mm -hmm. So the whole rental market. That's why I think in Melbourne at the moment we're at you know one percent vacancy rate. Aren't
0: they? Aren't they? They've increased um, taxes on vacant vacant investment properties. So they're sort of saying to, to. to what they perceive, this is in the Victorian government anyway. What they perceive as wealthy investors not using a property, right? So they're just they're either sort of land banking or they're just sitting on it, just not renting it, choosing yeah. not to rent it for whatever reason, which seems weird, but maybe there's people who do it, um, and they're actually saying, well, you're going to put, there'll be a penalty if if you do that, you're yeah. going to be penalised through the tax system.
1: Which which is, I I find a bit, you know. Difficult to come to terms with. Um, but especially when they're going to go to the to the lengths now of well you could say it's rented, but it's it's not. But they'll be checking um, water rates and things mm. like that. So if no water's been used, then obviously they know that it's mm. it's it's vacant. No, I think personally I think it's up to if I've got the money to buy a house and I don't want to put anybody in it, then.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's sort of like, well, it, it is a bit of an imposition on, on people's freedoms. I mean, it's got, it could be that you you actually own two houses and you want to go between them. So you, you're not living in one because you're in the other, but then you want to have the option of going and staying the odd night there. You know, yeah, There's so, plenty of people who do that between the you know, peninsula like, and Melbourne. Well,
1: not t- you will exa- and that's the sort of thing they'd be targeting as well. It we mm. can't just be Melbourne t- metropolitan area. Mm. It'd have to be peninsula and holiday places and, and things like that. So I don't know how that's that's actually going to work. So I, I really don't know how this sort of all pans out. Mm. You know, I, I really mm. can't see it um, You know, coming to a satisfactory conclusion for everybody.
0: Yeah, quoting the ANZ, Chief Shane Elliott did an interview with The Australian recently and he said that lending regulations in Australia make home loans, quote, the preserve of the rich, And said there are quote big social and political consequences of doing that. Do we want a society where people can't get a home loan or get a loan to start a business? The thing that's that's cited in that article is that the regulations are stopping banks. You mentioned you know the the requirement to have twenty percent deposit, the income test that they do. Your serviceability is a key thing they're also looking at. He's basically saying even though he's just announced they've got a a, you know ANZ unveiled the seven point four billion dollar profit for the year he's in the same breath saying well you know it's it's not our fault that more people aren't able to get loans the sort of loans they need because they're bound by regulations and as and as as some of that is to do with prudential considerations so they're sort of saying well it's like those low doc loans that led to the gfc in america where people didn't have to didn't have to have any income money anything and yep here's here's the loan
1: yeah i I find a Little bit hypocritical because it was only three or four years ago. If you went into the bank and said, I'd like to borrow money for a house, and they'd say, Oh, yeah, what are you after? You say this, um, how much do you need? Probably 300,000 wouldn't give you six. Mm. That's no problems at all. Mm. We can,
0: mm. like, there was no question, right. it's very different, it. it's very different, very different. And then for them
1: to go, Oh, no, it's, our hands are tied, it's the mm. regulations. Mm. Well. The only reason they brought those regulations in is when they had the inquiries into the banks to find out why people were, you know, getting their backs to the wall because they had been like too much money mm-hmm. against what they were <laughs> earning yeah, yourself. Yeah, yeah. So
0: well, it was. I think the banks were prepared to do it when the rates were as low as they were. Yeah. But now that rates aren't, they're not prepared to do it. No. Um, and,
1: and that's a fair. That's a fair enough business decision. But don't be saying. But be honest with it, Shane, mm-hmm. and say. Like, look, this is why we're not doing it because it's exposing us to too much risk. Okay, mm. fair enough. But don't be saying. oh, well, uh, so some regulations that were in a couple of years ago, they were mm. tightened a little mm. bit, mm. but the banks weren't sticking with them. So, you
0: know. So you mentioned social and political consequences, right, of these regulations and the fact that it is now so expensive and we've been talking about it, you know, the way the, the consideration of, or the comparison of the end of the 1980s where there was a housing bubble, a lot of people lost their homes at 18% interest rate. Anyone who bought in at the sort of close to the top of the market before the correction in housing prices was in a lot of trouble, like serious negative equity. They're no, just unfortunate timing, you know, it was, there were people caught out then, and yet, as we've said, you know, and as you said, you would be a lot more comfortable. You felt a lot more comfortable with a, you know, with a loan of, say, 60000 back back in the day. Even if it was 80% interest, it still worked out to be a lot more affordable than the current situation. So what are the social and political consequences of this? I mean, what are your kids going to do? How do you, you know, have they got any plans? Or have you got any sort of sage advice for them?
1: Oh, look, you know, the bank of mum and dad... Was Don't move, move out. out. Oh, yeah, but... The, my, Daughter moved up to Queensland 12 months ago. And they were lucky, they were in a situation, she and her boyfriend, that they were renting from a friend who had a house up there. So they went into a share situation. Mm. Up there, it's like 0.6% vacancy rate where where she is on the Sunshine Coast. And rents for a standard house at $800, $900 Mm. a week. Mm. So if they weren't sharing, they'd, they'd have... No hope whatsoever. Yeah. I look at my son's on you know he's on quite good money. He's doing an apprenticeship and he does a lot of overtime and things like that. But it's still even to buy. A, you know we've looked at units and things like that. But at five hundred thousand, he's still got to have a hundred and you know one hundred and twenty thousand dollars deposit saved up. Mm. And the the longer he's saving, the further the price, You know the gap is still yeah much yeah. the same. Mm. You know, there was somebody, oh, probably two, three years ago, when houses were going nuts, said to go in at ten percent, get the insurance you know, the, the borrower's insurance. Yeah, yeah. Um, that the banks wanted, and even though that was some was thirteen 000 or fourteen thousand dollars, mm. the houses by the time you actually settled the house, it had gone up that much. So it was, was worth paying. Worth doing it, mm. but mm. that's changed. You know, they're still rising, but not not that much now. So. Yeah, I I can see both the kids are still at home with me. I can see them being there for quite a while. Yeah. Interestingly enough, the houses, a lot of houses that I'm seeing now are gearing towards multi-generational. So any house that's got dual living or two kitchens, two Mm, bar, mm -hmm. set up like that, Mm. they are selling within virtually hours of them going on the market because The two families are coming together and buying, so mum and dad and grandma and dad are all living in the... Yeah, so a place where the
0: granny flat's more attractive. Yeah. And you hear about that happening on the Mornington Peninsula, which is a sort of a, you know, more traditionally a holiday destination from Melbourne, but it's increasingly a place that people live in because the roads have got better and you can commute and people work from home. But you get situations where, you know, people say, okay, we'd love to have a holiday house down down the beach somewhere. Why don't two families get together and buy it together and Mm -hmm. share it? Yeah. Which can work, you know. So there's all sorts of sort of different little models that are being looked at by people. I guess the fundamental thing is that if you're already in the market, you're lucky, you know. And if you got into the market, the baby booper generation who bought in when it was really cheap have just kept on selling and buying and sort of upgrading and whatever over the years, and we do have this big tax break. You know, the principal residence is the one thing that's capital gains free in Australia, so that does that does encourage people to have sort of grand houses to pump money into this thing that they can sell at a big profit eventually and fund their retirement and um, and and get a big tax free windfall out of it. Um, and Labor tried to do that, tried to address that because you know the argument is that that skews the the financial system, you know, it's 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 putting, getting people to put money into something which is not productive in a way. It's you know, you, what about having a system which encourages you to, to put money into your business with a with a tax break, mm. um, and thereby employ people and thereby grow the grow the economy, rather than just having all these grand houses that the owners enjoy, but they don't. I mean, they they contribute to the economy in the sense that they they employ tradies, and they employ companies that sell building materials. And Labor tried to address it and they got resoundingly knocked back, basically. They, didn't, they lost the election. It was when uh, Bill Shorten was, was was having a crack at, at opposition leader.
1: Yeah, see, I, I often wonder... My parents bought oh, their first house in Frankston. It was in a Jennings estate. It cost $6,600. And Dad got the money through a war service loan because he'd been in the Navy. Mm-hmm. And... I remember him saying that for $7,600 they could have got one that overlooked the bay. Wow. But he didn't have the extra $1,000. It just didn't exist. But They had the minimum deposit that they could get because the Navy didn't pay that well at the time and he Mm. just got out of the Navy. So they had the minimum they could get. So I'm not too sure how much they actually borrowed. But their house didn't go up. Over 20 years it might have gone up. uh, You know, hundred, hundred and twenty thousand dollars. It wasn't tremendous. So Mm. they struggled as much, I think, as I probably did when I got into my first house. It was sixty thousand dollars with a seventeen percent loan. Mm. And if it's your principal place, it really doesn't matter what it's worth because until you sell it, you can't realise it. Yeah. You know, so illiquid asset. Yeah. I understand the whole thing about. Housing affordability now, but I just wonder. Sometimes I look back at what Mum and Dad went through and wonder whether they were any different to people
0: now. Now yeah. it's a familiar story, and it is hard because you've really got you've got to try to compare apples with apples, and sort of saying, okay, well you've got to say, well, what was your what was the average income back then, and what was the, you know, how how hard was it to service at the at the rates that applied, you know, all those sort of things. Well, I do did. remember
1: Dad coming home. We'd been in the house. I was when we moved in and oh, he was was probably 12 or 13. I remember him coming home with a bottle of bubbly because his wage had gone up to $110 a week. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, jump on the train, travel into the city every day as a draftsman, come back, you know, uh, gone up to $110 a week and uh, they bought the bottle of bubbly and I think we might have had Chinese food that night you know and then back to you know the holes in socks again mm. a couple of weeks later so mm. yeah, I think they all did it tough you know people have done a tough ride right across generations mm. too I think mm. you know um, I don't know now whether it's just more in your face mm. or whether people are more comfortable talking about it than back then if you you know, the last thing you wanted was a debt collector to do in case the neighbours were looking. Right, you know? yes. Yeah. Now it's not acceptable, that's not quite the word, but we're there for the grace of God go I. You yeah, know? So yeah. nobody passes judgment yeah. Yeah. on people that, you know... Absolutely,
0: and I think it's, it is becoming... I think at the moment in this environment, it seems to be more, more and more common that there are people, you know, in financial stress, yeah. you know, whether they're, they're struggling to pay their rent, uh, whether they're, you know, there's... I mean, there seems to be more and more people homeless, um, and there's a whole lot of other issues involved with that as well. But if you can't find a house, you can't afford to rent, and you're being desumped because every man and his dogs trying to rent the same place as you with, with 1% or less um, vacancy for yeah. residential rents, then what do you do? You know. Know, there must be a lot of people who are missing out and, and I don't know, staying on you know, couch surfing, that yeah. sort of stuff.
1: Well, you talk about the you're saying about the social ramifications. 15, 20 years ago, you'd be judged... Oh, you know, so and so down the street, uh, looks like they're gonna lose their house. So I said, well it's their own fault, you know, they go away to this and they, mm. you know, they they've got an expensive car and they do this at, you know. But now you look at people that are on, you know, good salaries of 120 family salary, 120, 130, dollars and they're happy to go to the Salvation Army and places like that. And it was not that long ago we all, you know, people would have gone, oh, the, well, it's their own fault. And now they go, yeah, no, I see what you're saying. Mm. Yeah, I understand. Mm. As you reach for the, the no brand spaghetti instead of the expensive yeah. one, we're all yeah. cutting costs yeah. somewhere. Absolutely. And 90% of it is because of how expensive our houses are. Mm. Now you think if, if you didn't have that 40%
0: eating away at your wage every week, mm. um, it wouldn't be the, the drama that you're in. The approximate market value of all Australian dwelling in stock is ten trillion dollars. Yeah. And I think Australian real estate is right up there with anywhere in the world. It's expensive by global standards. Yes. Well, you yeah. know, for example, in the UK, you know, um, it's it's quite a bit cheaper to buy a house over there. They have a, they have a different, interesting system though. And you were talking, you touched on this earlier, where people now are buying before they sell because they've got less confidence in in what they're going to get when they sell their place so they want to they want to wait till they've got they know what they're getting and then they can go out and buy the other place but that does mean that there's there's time that that is lost and there's also the possibility that they don't find the new place then they're homeless yes and in the uk they've got a system where the whole thing has to work in a chain to everyone and the whole thing can fall over until really the last moment because because somewhere in the chain is broken so The person who's buying your house, they want someone to be buying their house. Yes, yep. And then the place that you're moving into, or the people who are selling you that house, they've gotta be able to get into their next house. And unless it all lines up, that can actually knock the whole thing over. It can can cause the whole sale to fall apart. I suppose the system is trying to protect people from from being homeless, but you wonder how that can work because I mean, that's a hell of a long chain. Yeah. If you stretch it right out and you look at every single break in it, Mm potential in it. It's funny in a country like Australia, and and I think immigration has, has got to be a kind of fundamental thing, and there are people who are quite critical of the federal government's policy on immigration because this because of this housing issue. You know, if you're gonna have 450,000 people coming in a year, you've got to have a plan about where they're gonna go. Because yeah, otherwise otherwise you're, forcing, you're actually forcing exist you know current Australians who who are struggling with housing, you're making it that much worse for them because you've got all these extra people coming in Trying to get the same house, trying to rent or buy the same house, and yet Australia's relatively underpopulated and has a shitload of land. It's sort of bizarre in a way. It, it, you know, I remember being told by someone years and years ago, "Be careful of investing in Australian property because because Australia's got a lot of land." Mm. You know, it's <laughs> <one> usable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, see, now we've got
1: the issue that Chinese buyers are buying back into Australia, yeah. whereas they stopped. A couple of years ago. Yeah. And a lot of them are, are land banking. They just want to get the money out of China, China, mm. and in, into Australia. Mm. I don't know what the answer.
0: Well, it's there. To, there are thresholds. Is, I think there's you know if you have X number of you know it's five million dollars or something in the bank, then then you're in. Then you're allowed to. Yeah. Buy, you know, so it's 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 sort of saying as long as as long as as long as you're wealthy, then then you can get into the country regardless of of. Um, regardless of whether you you know there's a skill shortage around the industry that you're in or, or anything. Yeah, yeah. Which in itself is a bit of an issue. But I, I think that where this conversation's going, I mean, it, it's highlighting that this is the beginning of you know the, the issue of where people live and how people live and whether they can afford to be in a house or be in some kind of dwelling. That actually affects the whole picture of Australia. It has all these other mm. flow-on things. It's, it's dealing with immigration. How can you... Get those 200,000 you need built per year if you're having 450,000 new arrivals each year. You know, how do you do that? You know, it's hard to get a builder. A lot of the builders are going bankrupt, or have already gone bankrupt. The cost of building materials is huge. The cost of petrols high, so moving stuff around. Yeah. It highlights all these other issues that apply in the Australian economy, which are not really being addressed. No one's got any really sort of revolutionary ideas about how to address them, apart from sort of saying, well, that's what we've got to do but how do we do it? Oh, we don't know how we're going to do it. We, yeah. can't, we can't do it.
1: Well, and then the Reserve Bank, the only sword they have in their scabbard, apparently, is to just keep putting interest rates up and hope that that brings inflation back because it'll stop us buying things that we, well, it probably will to a point. But then, you know, and, and this, we've wandered down completely different tangents now, but you know, I read an article the other day about, you know, the farmers are getting $2 a lamb. And yet, you know, I'm still paying forty dollars a kilo for. Well, I'm not paying. I'm seeing forty dollars a kilo for lamb chops at uh, you know at Woolworths and places like that. Mm. So you know, somewhere, somebody's that the whole thing's coming a bit unravelled. You know, there's probably a lot of people are making money out of this. I, personally, I know the banks. You know, we made seven billion profit and stuff like that. But the reality is, through regulations, they can only get. What they get the money for, they can only put two to 2.5% on that to stay in the market. So their profit hasn't really changed from now to what it was, you know, five years ago, their ability to make the the profit. But the supermarkets and and things like that, I I look at it and I think, really, that's, you know, that's just not on. I'm Mm. sure they're making, they're gouging somewhere, Mm. you know, and that's... Milk's gone. Everything's gone up. So as you said your your home loan's gone up $1,400 or $1,500 a month. Plus your petrols. You know now over two dollars a litre. You know your milk that was two $1 a dollar a litre. You know at the supermarket recently that's dollar fifty a litre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know you're buying mints now and and chicken instead of steak, even though the farmers aren't getting as much for it. The whole thing mm. needs, to Where's actually, going? Yeah. needs to stop. Yeah. have and to, to get then, off then, and then then the, get that yeah again. I
0: know then you sort of you get into the whole idea of if it's a labour government they'd sort of say well you know we're going to interfere with markets you know it becomes we're going to have to well, that's it. we're going to step in we're going to we're going to we're going to make sure that if a lamb costs $2 you know if to a farmer to sell it at the stock auction that you know that will be reflected in, in the price you pay at the supermarket but to do that you've got to you kind of got to regulate the supermarket, yes. you got to say, sorry, this is this is what you have to do.
1: And, and nobody really wants that, I don't think, because mm. well, I mean, in that it, way it was madness. Yeah,
0: well, there's there's a lot of examples around, you know, history is full of examples where that kind of central economic planning doesn't work. Yeah. It unravels pretty quickly. You so know.
1: you get back to it. So, you know, all the RBA can do is go, well, we'll just put interest rates up to take money out of the market so mm. people aren't buying those expensive things, and mm. that way inflation will drop and, but it's not working. It's been 12 months and inflation stayed the same and people spending hasn't, you know, hasn't because, really because dropped that much.
0: Because services, are, you know, well, I mean, one of the debates that's been um, highlighted is that um, uh, the, if the government dropped, there was, a, there was an independent MP who got up in Parliament recently and uh, during question time and, and put a question to the PM and the Albanese saying, why don't you reduce the excise on petrol? because petrol is a thing that feeds into inflation. inflation, it's, in, inflation it's inflationary. Yeah. And the government doesn't want to do it because the government benefits in, in tax because it's a percentage. The higher the petrol price, the more tax they make out of it. So they don't want to do it. And he gave a complete gobbledygook answer. He just did. He just fobbed it off. Just, just blah, blah, blah. Didn't they do that recently? They, they did, though. The, the, the um, previous government did for a while. Yeah. Um, when interest rates first went up. Um, so we're talking right, yes. early last year or mid yeah. last year. Before the federal election, which was won by Labor, the, the previous government, Scott Morrison and those guys, I think it was six months, relaxation of excise, which I think overlapped when the new government took over, right. it, but they, mm-hmm. didn't, they chose not to extend it. Right. So they're asking for the same thing on the grounds that the government is, is actually contributing to inflation, which it says it's trying to tame, right. you know, yeah. wants yeah. to tame. The other thing that's, it, that's happened, which I reckon you know a few people will be, be hurting uh, or, or annoyed by, if you tried to buy a slab of beer recently, that's gone up by... A, it's got a big jump. I'll yeah. well, see, I'm a non-drinker, so... Right, I, uh, well, there you yeah. go. Well, you might have to ask your son or, or someone yeah. else. But um, but the reason for that is, is tied to... So the government's brought in this this state government, Victorian state government, they've brought in a thing where you can recycle cans and bottles. Right. Like they've been doing in South Australia, it's 10 cents a can of them. But the can can't be crushed, interestingly. If the can's crushed, it's not acceptable. Oh, that's right. Which is I can't which is can't read the tag which on Which is it, crazy. But, yeah. Like... Surely, you know, if you want that to be efficient, the benefit of a can... I mean, you're not going to reuse the can, like put it, put more beer in it and seal it up and say it goes back on the shelf. So you're eventually going to crush that can up to recycle the metal. But for some reason, as you said, they want to be able to tip down and scan it or something. Apparently, the, the cost to the government of funding that scheme where you get 10, 10 cents back has basically just been passed on to the, the cost of beer. Right. So, okay. so they've... they've I don't exactly know how they've structured it, but that is the net effect, is that by, by having that recycled program, all great, you know, good for the environment, you don't save that money by being able to recycle that those cans because you're paying more to get the beer in the first place. You know, I'm 60, so I
1: can remember sitting with my parents at a picnic or a barbecue or something like that, and you just left the rubbish there. You know, it was all that. doesn't happen anymore now. It hasn't happened for, you know, 20 years. So mm-hmm. the cans are going into, bins anyway, which I assume the council pick up mm. and that, that gets crushed and recycled. Yeah. And yeah. So I don't really need to be paying the it's Originally they bought that in in South Australia to stop people just throwing their kids yeah. on the roadside. So, so
0: it costs you more to buy the beer because we want you to recycle the, the, the thing that the, the beer comes in. And so, by, and so by if you do recycle it, you're going to make up the money that you're paying extra to buy the beer in the first place, but you can't crush the can. And it's not easy. You have to go yeah, somewhere yeah, exactly. to do it yeah.
1: and stand in line. There was a picture the other day of these people standing in line waiting because you have to, individually, have to individually scan the can to find out, I guess, seeing as the breweries are putting the money on it, to find out whether that money comes from the...
0: Uh, two notes but yeah. it just seems like that's just, just such a good. weird way of doing put in it. The bin with the yellow do lid. it by weight. Yeah. For God's sake, can't you do it by weight? Yeah, no, 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 no. And you can still. It's not like um, if you've if you've squashed a can with your foot before you put it in the bin. That it weighs any less? It, it's, it's, <laughs> a, it's not like it's not identifiable as one can. No. You know. Just imagine the amount of space extra that's gotta be occupied by all those trucks that move those cans around to get them to the recycling plant because they've all got to be intact. Intact. Yeah. You know, just imagine the extra fuel. What are they like you could probably pack I don't know, four cans at least if you squash them, probably more. Into the space occupied by one intact can.
1: What are they called? The law of unintended consequences. Yeah, yeah. You know, some people have been saying, why don't we wait 10 cents on a can yeah, and people we'll get 10 cents? What a great idea. Yeah. And then you go, oh, hang on a minute, can't no, yeah. I? Yeah. Uh... <laughs> but they can't crush the cans. <laughs> they can't crush the cans. Uh, dear, I dear. Yeah. So, I don't know where that leads back to housing affordability. Maybe we need to drink more and take the cans <laughs> back and pay that off our. People house.
0: are drinking more because they've, yeah. they've got to drown their sorrows. Exactly. You know, yeah. they're relieving their pressure. I mean, that's that's like. I went to an auction, uh, it was a good one actually, and, and the agent was saying, um, you know, he's, getting, he's talking about, know, oh, the, the beautiful surrounds and the nice trees on the street and, you know, schools around the corner and blah, 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 all the sort of, you know, the spiel that yeah. the agent gives in the preamble to the auction. And he said, and do you know that he, we are actually 387 steps to Dan Murphy's? Nice. And the crowd, he got a huge roar. Yeah, I'm roar. not here to sell you a house, like, ladies and gentlemen. I'm here to sell you a lifestyle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and so you know, it's it's like, a, and that was probably the main selling the main point the yeah, it's like, Okay, well, I'm going to pay that money now. Oh,
1: now that I know that they do that, see, so you when know, next time I write an ad, I'll be able to put 387 steps exactly. to, yeah, to or to
0: out. or to the you know whatever to yeah. the hospital or to the you know, to the rehab centre yeah. or whatever. Well,
1: now you probably have to put an asterisk. Steps are taken by a 60-year-old man with a one-meter pace, you know. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I spot advertising, yeah. <laughs> exactly.
0: yeah. yeah. Anyway, to, to conclude, because we've been going around in circles a little bit, but I feel sorry for, for for young kids because I think that even though you can say, oh, there's other things you can invest your money in which will give you a return, you know, for example, you can put your money into shares or you can put your money into fixed interest or you can... You know, there's something about bricks and mortar which is kind of, you know, a bit safer, okay? It's it's an Ill, Ill, illiquid asset, right? So you can't just sell it quickly and the transaction costs prohibitive anyway. So houses, you know, you're, you're looking to have them for a while. Those alternative things you can invest in, I mean, they just don't have that same solidity and they're harder to get your head around than property, than real estate, than mm. land. Well, so, I, I see
1: people when I, I go to places and, and it's tenanted and, and they'll be... You know quite sad because they've this is the third time they've moved in four years because mm. the the people that own the house have decided to sell mm. it's really hard to put a price on security if you've got your own house yes it's up to you whether you decide that even if you get into trouble financially it's your choice Mm. to sell mm.
0: it's a lack of control over your life isn't it you, you, you're, someone yeah. else is saying to you okay you've got to move on now and that's
1: not saying that it's bad to rent because we've all done it it happens you know there's not too many people leave home and buy their first hats mm. but it's just nice to have that security of, of yeah. knowing that it's you know it's yours to do with as you please mm. and mm. to sell when you want to not when somebody else is dictating it's time for you to move out Yeah, so. yeah but I can't see you know, getting way back to the question, I can't see my son and daughter being in a position to afford something short of them moving out way, way, way out. People can get together with other people. You don't have to be a relative. You can get together with other people and split the title. Yeah, well, they have that
0: up, up around Byron Bay. They have those MOs, the multiple occupancy thing, right, which yeah. the banks don't lend money for because right. the title isn't clear. But you have got people up there who who buy, say, a, I don't know, 10-acre property and they... And they are able to put multiple dwellings on it and they're yeah. splitting all the costs and it's sort of the whole thing is you know creating a little community but one of the problems with that that form of ownership is that the banks won't lend you money and if yeah. they do it's at massive exorbitant rates you know yeah. I mean, if you think that official rates are bad enough so i wonder if
1: there could be a situation where so <laughs> my son buys a house with two mates and they have a third share each in the dwell you know they each have their own bedroom yeah the communal voucher it's just the same as renting but they actually mm own the place mm. uh, there might be flexibility mm. maybe that's a business we could start
0: can someone be very lateral and come up with a new approach we've got second tier lenders obviously that will mm. you know will give you a kind of cheaper deal or with less documentation or more more lenient and so on but there are you know there's always fine print and there's always you know a potential downside to going with those second tier lenders i suppose if you had a choice maybe you'd prefer to be dealing with a big bank that's just a bit... Maybe less likely to get you with fine print than mm. than some of these second tier lenders are, but I don't know. I mean, otherwise, you know, you always kind of go back to well, what can the government do? And then it's okay. Well, is the tax the taxpayers going to fund it somehow. So we all pay more taxes, and we solve the problem that way, or we address the problem that way, and it might be through. I mean, we had a thing. You know, we had the, the first home buyer's allowance went for years. You know, you got thirty grand or whatever. All that did was just put the price oh, up by so 30, thirty grand. Yeah, 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 exactly. So so those those sort of. You know, the, the history of kind of intervention from the from the government isn't very successful. It doesn't seem to have really done very much to address housing affordability. Mm. So it's a pretty burning question. I think the pressure is mounting on on the government, federal government, to address immigration because I think it just doesn't make sense. How can you be bringing these people in if you've got nowhere to put them? And they're displacing people who are already here. Mm. That's, a, that's a fundamental. Yeah. More on this later. To be continued... Thanks very much, Brad. No, not at all. We could go on forever, but I think it's becoming quite a serious thing, and it seems to have ramifications right through the whole of society. It's not just not just housing; it flows on into other things. Do you want to have this bunch of people who got into property as baby boomers, and you know, you want up with massive inequality, really, because you've got these people who are lucky enough to be in it Mm. and can afford to stay in it, and then all these other people who can't ever get in.